Thessalonians today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So, it was a couple of years ago, I was taking the kids to, to school, and, you know, as you know, that can always make for some interesting conversations, you know, group of kids all together in a car, um, and on this particular day, though, uh, they were talking about school, because we were on our way to school, they are talking about school, and they were actually talking about math, like doing math problems, and uh, Kenan was learning how to do, yeah, I'm talking to you, <laughs> He was learning to do some simple multiplication, you know, like two times two, three times two, some of the more easy, like simple multiplication. And and the kids were testing him on it, and they threw out a number that was much bigger than he was expecting, you know, multiple digit number. And and he said, I can't do that. That's too hard. And Eleanor's response without skipping a beat is, well, Hadley knows how to do the hard times. (laughs) So that kind of just got me thinking about the hard times. And what do we do uh, with the hard times? Can we do the hard times? Like, how do we handle them when they come? Uh, And as we look through our text today, the Thessalonians, they were going through the hard times. You see, Paul uh, was traveling alongside a man by the name of Silas. Uh, We read this in the book of Acts. They were traveling and preaching the word of God to all these different cities. And it says that they came uh, to Thessalonica. It was during his second missionary journey. Uh, You can find that, we won't read it, but in Acts 17, uh, verses 1 through 9, um, is where you get this story. And so scripture says that he was with them for a period of of no less than three weeks. So at least three weeks, uh, but we don't know for sure how how much longer than that it was. And the custom that Paul had was he would always go to the synagogues first, and he would preach to the Jews. And then if they rejected the message, then he would take the message on to the Gentiles as well. And the reason that he went to the Jews first is, well, because he had common ground, because he is a Jew, right? He was Jewish. And then also, if he had rejected the Jews outright from the beginning and went to the Gentiles first, the Jews would have rejected him. Like, he would have immediately lost any, any credibility with them, wouldn't have been able to, to share any, anything, any truth with them. They would have rejected him immediately. So, so he went to the Jews first. And then over time, he would go uh, to, <clears throat> to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles there. And the scripture says in Acts 17 that there were many who turned to faith in Christ. The time that he spent there, there were many believers. But there were also a group of Jewish leaders uh, who it says that they didn't reject his message. They didn't disagree with him, but they thought that he was getting too popular. He was, they were jealous of his popularity. And so as a result, they created this mob, just set the city in an uproar to get this mob to get Paul out of this city. And, and uh, they began to search for him, for Paul and Silas. And they assumed that he was at a man, that they were at a man named Jason's house. And if, if you read in the book of Acts, you, you'll see that they took Jason and it says they literally dragged him out of his house. They're, they're trying to get Paul out of here, and they were serious about it. They dragged him across the city to find him. They weren't able to actually find him, but uh, Jason was still charged uh, with housing the accused, and he had to make a pledge that he would not repeat those same troubles again. He had to essentially make a pledge, I'm not going to let this guy Paul in my house anymore. He had to make that, that promise uh, to the Jewish leaders, to the leader, leadership of the city. And so, as a result of that, Paul was forced to leave. And the scripture says in, in Acts that he left there with Silas and went to the city of Berea. But it also says that some of those Thessalonian unbelievers, 
kept pursuing him, even into Berea. They were going there, trying to get him out. They were getting him out of as far away from them as they possibly could. They were extending the persecution, not just to that city, but going outside of their city to try to get him out. And so Paul had to leave even Berea, and he ended up going to the city of Athens. And then he uh, left Silas and Timothy there, and that's kind of where we'll pick up in the story uh, in, in the book of First Thessalonians. So, so even though Paul managed to escape that persecution from the Thessalonians, imagine being those young Christians, those young believers in the city that was just in an uproar because of their leader, this person who had come and had given them this instruction, had, had shared the gospel with them, they believed it, and now he's gone. So they were in a, a state of distress, right? A state of anxiety over what do we do now? Um, they were being persecuted, and we see that throughout this, this letter that Paul writes, even in the time that he was away from them, they were still facing persecution. He says that in chapter 1, in verse 6, it says, you became imitators of us, and you received the word in much affliction. So he understood that they were going through a difficult circumstance. But the believers continued to be faithful, and they were strong witnesses, even to the point that it says uh, he commended them in verse 7 of chapter 1. It says, You became examples to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And not only that, it sounded your good, the good news of your faith sounded forth in all of the neighboring regions. So he's commending them that they were remaining faithful uh, even, even in their persecution. We get to our text today in, in chapter 2, uh, beginning of verse 17 is where we're going to start reading. And, and we'll see that Paul was able to bring comfort to them in their struggles. Uh, but at the same time, the text will also show that not only was Paul able to give comfort to them, but the Thessalonians were also able to give comfort to Paul in his trials and circumstances as well. And so by application, uh, it will be seen today that even when we go through the hard times, we can find hope and we should find hope and comfort. So let's go ahead and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. It says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, not in person, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the, gospel of, in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come back to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you were standing fast in the Lord." 
for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And so you see from our text today, we can see two reasons why all Christians should find hope through the hard times. And the first reason why we should find hope through the hard times is because other believers encourage us. So you see, beginning in verse 17, uh, the narrative here in, in, this, in this letter, it takes a little bit of a turn because up to this point, Paul had been talking about their past relationships. He had talked about how he came to them, how he shared the gospel. They were converted, uh, became believers. And he talked about the nature of his ministry while he was there uh, to them. He talked about their, uh, their ongoing sufferings. But here when we get to this passage, uh, Paul begins to detail how he and his companions, he, Silas, and Timothy uh, specifically, had dealt with being forced to leave them. And so in a sense, he was kind of reestablishing contact with them. He's trying to get back into contact with them to, to encourage them in their faith. And we see that, that we can find this encouragement from others by their commitment. Beginning in verse 17, uh, you can read that. Just read that and think about what is going on in, in Paul's mind, in his thoughts. He says, we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart. And we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. He's speaking with a lot of passion there. He wants to see them. He is eager to see them. In this word, when it says that he was torn away from you, brothers, that word literally means uh, to be uh, to make an orphan of someone. And so the idea here, when we think about the word orphan in the English language, we typically think of, of a child who's lost their, lost their parents. But in their, in their culture, in their world, uh, the word orphan not only meant that, but it could also mean a parent who had lost their children. And so that's the idea that we see here is, is Paul is using this familial language that he's like a, like a parent to them who's been orphans. I'm without my children, and I want to see them again. He's referring back to, to what he talks about in, uh, earlier in the chapter, in, in chapter 2, in verse 7. He says, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So Paul compared himself earlier to, he's like a mother to them. I am a, like a mother nursing you. And then not only that, in, in verse uh, Here's the verse, sorry. Verse 11, um, it says, For you know how like a father with his children, children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So he compares himself to, to being like their spiritual mother and their spiritual father. And he's been orphaned. He's been torn away from them. And he wants to see them again. And so really he probably has in mind, you know, what happened when he was forced to leave, right? I mean, he was essentially forced out of the city of Thessalonica uh, by these Jewish unbelievers. And so then he qualifies that statement that he was torn away, and he qualifies it with uh, the emphasis of time and space. So he says it's only for a short time. That There's no detail as to exactly how long that is, but in Paul's mind, I've only been away from you for a little while. Uh, and so that would kind of support the claim that... Um, the idea that we get as we read through Thessalonians is it seems like there were people who were just pressing down the Thessalonians saying, 
Paul doesn't really care about you. He doesn't love you. Why isn't he here? If he really cares about you, if he really loves you, he should be here with you, right? And so they're, they're possibly getting discouraged, and he's reassuring them, I've only been gone for just a short time, just a very short time. And not only that, he clarifies it even more, that that short time is in person and not in heart. So it's just as, as, we, as we think about it in our culture today, you know, our friends even when we're away from them, they're still here in our hearts, right? We still have them. We still think about them. Uh, even when they, they can be, we can be separated by, by hundreds of miles away, we can, uh, thankfully, in our world, we have the technology to be able to see each other, you know, through FaceTime or, or Zoom. I mean, everybody is, has used Zoom at some point in this last year, it seems like, right? I mean, so, so we can see each other, but <clears throat> he's saying not only... Am I apart? I'm not, I'm apart from you from a distance, but I'm here with you. I'm still in your heart. I am with you. And he's, he's expressing this emotion, this love that he has for him. And he's addressing that just as he addressed uh, in the verses previously, when he says that we were gentle among you and we were being affectionately desirous of you and you had become very dear to us. These are, this is the kind of words that he's using to speak to the Thessalonians. It's, a, it's an intimate, close relationship that he had with them. And because of this affection that he had for them, it says that, that he endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I mean, he's passionate, right? He's, I'm endeavoring and eagerly with great desire. This word desire, it's used here in a positive sense to speak of desire, and it's used in the book of Philippians when Paul says that my desire is to depart and be with the Lord, which is far greater. Every other instance of this word desire is used to speak of a sinful desire, like a lust. And so when we think about sinful desires, those are strong passions that we have inside us, right? But that's what he's saying in a positive sense. That's how much I love you guys. I desire with great desire and longing to see you guys. So he wants to see them, and he's committed to them, and he's showing that commitment uh, through this desire uh, to see them. And not only that, this commitment that he has to them is demonstrated in his actions. See, he made a plan to go see the Thessalonians, and he says that that in, in verse 18, because we wanted to come to you, and then he drops the we, which as, as you read through the book of Thessalonians, you'll see that throughout the letter. Most of the time he says, we do these things. We, we, we. He's talking about Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But here he clarifies it. He makes it plain. Not just we, but I, Paul, again and again and again. I have tried to come and see you. He's showing them his heart. He's showing them how much he cares and, and cares for them, and is concerned about them. And so he tries again and again and again, but it says that Satan hindered us. <clears throat> this, this concept of, of to, to be hindered by Satan, um, it has the idea uh, kind of what the military might do when they break up a road or maybe destroy a bridge that prevents the enemy from being able to, to, to come across. That's the idea that he's saying here is, as I'm trying, I'm trying to get there. But I am in a spiritual war with Satan, and he is preventing me. He's destroyed the bridge. He's broken up the road to prevent me from being able to see you guys. So he's trying to make it clear to them 
It's not due to a lack of trying. It's not that I don't care about you. That's not the reason I haven't come to you again. The reason I haven't come is because I can't. I'm trying. I want to. I want to see you guys. I want to hug you guys. I want to love on you guys. That's what he's saying to them, but I just can't do it because Satan has hindered us. And then uh, he doesn't really expound on that uh, other than just to, say, just to say that because, you know, in our, in our minds, a lot of times we may, if we're, I mean, even if we're just late to something, we, have, we come up with excuses, right? We're like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, I'm late. Uh, it took me a long time to get the kids ready. It was, you know, I mean, it takes us a long time to get the kids ready. You know, we got a lot of them. So, so yeah, it takes a while. And, uh, or, you know, the traffic was terrible. I just, I mean, we come up with all of these excuses for why we're late. Paul doesn't really do that, other than just to say, you know, Satan hindered us. I mean, that's a pretty significant reason. But, he pushes on to what is more important to him uh, is not the reason why he couldn't come, but instead the reason why I want to come to you guys in the first place. And he uses his words here to demonstrate uh, this compassion, this love that he has for them. He says in verse 19, for what, uh, that could also be who. So I, I like to think of it as who. So for who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? And so, and so this idea is, it's, it's uh, who is our hope? And so in his mind, he's thinking about, I mean, as he, as he clarifies later there, he says, before the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. So he's anticipating, and you'll see that, through that throughout this whole letter, a lot of it is anticipating when Christ returns, the second coming of Christ. And so what he's saying is, you are my hope, so that even if I cannot come to see you, even if on this earth, I can't ever make it back to the city of Thessalonica. I have hope that I will see you again. You are my hope because one day Christ is going to return and we're all going to be present in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to be there and you are going to be a part of that hope that I have. But not only that, not only is, he our, or is it our hope, but he says, for who is our hope or joy? And so again, it's just the same idea. He will, when he sees the Thessalonians again in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says that you will be my joy. You will be the reason that I rejoice is because we will be together and we will be with the Lord. And that is our joy. And not only our joy, but our crown of boasting. This crown is, is a crown of victory. It's like the crown that's given uh, to the Olympic champions, which uh, if you've ever seen it, I mean, they do it some, somewhat here in modern Olympics, but in the uh, original Greek Olympics, they had this laurel wreath that they would put on the head of the victor to show that they are the champions, right? And so that's what he's saying is, is I, you are my crown. You are the victory that I have, and it's a victory of boasting. And so he's essentially saying, I'm bragging about you guys. Like, who can I brag about? I'm bragging about you. When I go and see Jesus, I'm going to be bragging about who you are and, the, and the, the faithfulness that you have. That's what he's saying is you are my crown. And then he answers the question really with a rhetorical question saying, is it not you? I mean, he's basically saying, yes, it is you. You are the hope, the joy, the crown of boasting. And then he closes that, that, part, that portion there. Uh, by saying, for you are our glory and joy. In other words, this, this could, could also be, it's, it's like saying, 
uh, you know, you guys have probably heard this before, or maybe you've said it, to, to your own child, you're my pride and joy. That's what he's saying here. It's is, is just like a parent to their child. You're my pride and joy. I love you, and I love you so much. I want to be there for you in every circumstance I can. And that's what he's saying is, I am so concerned about you. I want to see you. I've been torn away from you, uh, but, but I'm trying to get to you. And so he's encouraging them by his commitment to them. He's committed to being there for them. But when he couldn't be there, uh, he also encourages, not just by the commitment, but also by, uh, by ministry. And we see that in verses, uh, chapter 3, uh, beginning ver- verses 1 through 5. Um, again, Paul is unable to return to the Thessalonians. And so he's in Athens. That's what he says. We were, I decided to be left in Athens, and I will send uh, my brother Timothy uh, to encourage you and to strengthen you. <clears throat> and so this ministry, uh, it provides stability. And so you see that beginning in verse 1. It says, we were willing, we could bear it no longer. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Again, he's using that same terminology to be left alone in Athens. It's to be forsaken. You know, I was torn away from you. I'm, orf- I'm an orphaned parent away from my children, and I still can't come to see you. I'm willing to be forsaken even in this city. Why? Uh, it, but how, uh, how am I able to do that? Because I can send my brother Timothy uh, to see you. And so he sends Timothy, and he it describes him as our brother and as God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. So he's, he's saying our brother. Again, that's familial language, right? He's, he's saying uh, we have this spiritual connection because we are all in Christ. We are all brothers, and we are all sisters in Christ. And so the Thessalonians can trust Timothy in the same way that, that we trust, that you can trust me. You trust me, Paul? you can also trust uh, my brother Timothy as well. And he's also God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. So Timothy is engaged in this ministry with them. He is working in the gospel, um, sharing the gospel of Christ. So Paul's message forces the cross of Christ to the center as the basis for working together as fellow Christians. So we are working together because we are all in it together. We are all here for Christ, doing the work of the ministry for Christ. And so, so then we see uh, that he sends Timothy and he gives some qualifications on why you can trust Timothy. Then he gives the reason why he sent Timothy uh, at the end of verse 2. He says, I sent him to establish and exhort you in your faith. This idea of to establish you, um, it's to strengthen or to reinforce. It's kind of like Kind of like if you have a support beam that's running across the building. It provides the stability. It keeps the, the walls from falling over. It provides the stability. And that's what he's saying is Timothy is going to be able to do that for you. He's going to establish you. He's going to be able to secure you to hold those walls together. He's going to be able to provide that for you. Since I can't be there, he will be my representative and he can help you with these things. And he will also exhort you uh, in your faith. Uh, so, so that's this idea of encourage, encouraging to remain true uh, to your faith. Because, I mean, as we can see, the Thessalonians were young believers and they were facing a lot of opposition. And so Timothy is going to be able to encourage you 
in how you can handle uh, this opposition. And, and then he gives the result, the, the intended hopeful result of Timothy coming to establish and exhort you that no one be moved by these afflictions. And so that's the result. If Timothy can come and he can establish you and he can encourage and exhort you, he will do that so that no one will be moved by these afflictions. So he doesn't want anyone to be unsettled by the trials that they're facing, right? He's wanting them to, to find hope in that, to find hope even in those trials. And that Paul sending Timothy uh, would deepen their faith in the midst of that suffering. And the stability uh, that came from Timothy would result in steadfastness. Uh, if you see in, in verse 3, he says, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. So Paul is, is basically reminding them that suffering, suffering for the sake of Christ, that's a part of the Christian life. Um, we today maybe don't experience those same kinds of persecutions, but we also should be facing persecution if we are in Christ, right? We should be facing some sort of, uh, some sort of trials and difficulties in our life because of the fact that we are believers in Christ. And that's what he's saying is, is it's just a part of being a Christian. You are destined for this. And it, as one person said, it's as though he said, we are Christians on this condition. Like, this is the condition for being a Christian, is you're going to suffer. And that makes sense, right? Because Christ suffered. And we've talked about that through, Pastor Seth has talked about that through Hebrews, that, that he, was a, he suffered in, in the same afflictions as, as, we, as we have, right? That he's gone through the same trials, the same afflictions, yet without sin. But that's a part of the Christian life. Christ suffered, so we will suffer as well. And that's what Paul is, is encouraging them with here. Uh, and then he says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. So he's basically saying, you're destined for this. And not only that, when I was there with you, even in the short period of time I was able to be with you, I told you this time and time again. This is a part of life. You're going to suffer uh, for the sake of Christ. And then just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. So the suffering has already come to pass, right? We've seen that starting in the book of Acts. We saw the suffering beginning. Uh, he talks about it, it earlier in the letter, that they've been going through these persecutions, these trials, these sufferings. And then not only that, but um, they're going to continue to suffer through those things. It's come to pass, and you know it. And essentially, just like I said, it's, it's, the idea is it's a validation of their identity in Christ. Because you were in Christ, you were going to suffer because Christ suffered. And so this ministry uh, also promotes an enduring faith. So he sent them uh, not only to establish and to comfort them. That was almost kind of the secondary secondary purpose that Paul had for sending Timothy. He wanted to, to establish them. He wanted to secure them. Uh, to, to exhort them, to encourage them. But if you look in, in, uh, in verse 5, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. So that was the ultimate reason that he sent them is because, you know, whenever you're going through hard times, sometimes it's easy to lose heart, to lose faith, right? To lose faith in what God is, has done for us. And so he is wanting to send Timothy 
to see, are they living faithfully? Are they remaining faithful to the word, faithful to God? And so that is, is the purpose uh, of sending Timothy. So it was, it was kind of a fact-finding mission. I want to see how you're doing here. And then as I learn that, I can also help secure you, establish you, and provide this encouragement to you. And then he gives the reason why he's concerned for their faith. So I'm concerned. I want to know how your faith is. Why? For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So again, he's bringing Satan back into it, right? He said, I can't come to you because Satan is hindering me. I want to see how you're doing. Why? Because I want to see if maybe the tempter has tempted you. If Satan, if there is some spiritual warfare going on in your life too that is preventing you from living faithfully. And that's my fear. That's what Paul is saying. I'm afraid that that could be the case. So I want to know about you. I want to see how you're doing. And so Paul's concern was that they endured not for his reward, but that they might be representative of their identity in Christ, right? So for Paul, it wasn't just about his success. That's not the, the goal. The idea was uh, to see if they were remaining faithful, if they were growing in Christ. And so Paul's work of sharing the gospel was in danger because this young church may be struggling without full Christian instruction. And so they had faced this Satan-inspired persecution that was designed to lead them to give up and abandon their faith in Christ. And that's what he's sending Timothy for. I want to see, are you faithful? <clears throat> and so that is the first, the first reason why all Christians should find hope uh, through these hard times is because other believers can encourage us. Paul was an encouragement to the Thessalonians here. He's encouraging them, showing his commitment to them. He's showing this ministry that he has. But not only that, I think the second reason why all Christians should find hope through the hard times is because our godly responses can encourage other people. <clears throat> so you see, Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica, right, to strengthen them, to encourage them. And he's eager He's eagerly waiting for, Paul, for Timothy's return to see how they're doing, right? And, and this section here, beginning of verse 6, you get this kind of sigh of relief, this moment of relief from Paul. He says, but now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith. This, this verse, this verse is, um, is just like gushing, essentially. It's gushing with good news. He says, Timothy has come to us, brought us good news of your faith and your love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. So he's, he's comforting them. He's telling them, man, I wanted to know how faithful you were, and I found it. You guys have been faithful. And he's reporting this good news to them. It's, it's, he's gushing over them, essentially. And so Timothy returned uh, to Paul with good news of your faith. And so uh, this idea of faith, uh, it's in direct response, right, to what I just mentioned in verse 5. I sent to learn about your faith. Timothy came back and gave me good news about your faith. So you are living faithfully. Uh, and he is so grateful and so thankful for that. And so uh, that is what is of utmost importance to Paul, is that you are living in faith. And he continues that not only here in verse 6, but he mentions it again in verse 7. 
He says that we have been comforted about you through your faith. And then later on in verse 10, we'll get to it. He wants to help them supply what's lacking in their faith. Their faith is what is of utmost importance to Paul. Are they living faithfully? So this uh, godly living is living by faith. Not only that, this godly living uh, can include loving others. And so he says that he brought good news of your faith and love. So this idea of love here, some people would say that it's, it's talking about you know, their faith in Christ and also their love for Christ. And that could be, but uh, based on the rest of the, uh, of the verses here upcoming, it seems like this love that he's talking about is not just the love for Christ, but his, their love for others, and specifically here, their love for Paul and Silas and Timothy. And so, so the idea is, is that their faith in God found active expression in their love for others. And, and Paul mentions that throughout many, many of his other letters, that because of your faith in Christ, this is how you should love. That's what the book of Philemon is all about, is, is Paul is telling Philemon, you have faith in Christ, and because you have faith in Christ, you should love your brother Onesimus. And so that's the same idea here is, is that you, Thessalonians, your faith is strong. You, are, you have this faith in Christ. And because you have that faith, you have demonstrated that faith in action through your love. And so this love uh, specifically towards, towards Paul uh, and Silas and Timothy. <clears throat> and then he concludes the, the verse by, again, just expounding on that idea of love. Right? It's, it's not just that you loved us, but it says he reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. So this always remember us kindly. So they had fond, pleasant memories of the time that he was there. They remember the good times, right? <laughs> the good times of whenever Paul uh, was with them. Yeah, they're going through hard times. They're going through the persecution. And he was forced to leave in a manner that like made us think what in the world is going on, right? But they still remember the good things that happened, the reason why Paul was there in the first place, and they remember him kindly. And they have this love, uh, love for him. And not only that, it says that um, they long, you long to see us as we long to see you. Again, this idea of longing here, it's an intense desire. Uh, it, it could almost be uh, an anxiousness to the level of discontentment that comes when one does not get what he wants. So have you guys ever had that feeling before? I want something so bad that you could almost be discontent. Like, if I can't have this, I'm not going to be happy. That's almost the idea here that Paul is saying is that, is that you guys long to see us that strongly, that you are so intimately, you, know, you have so much care and love for me, and it's the same kind of love that I have for you. So it's this kind of reciprocal effect here. And so this, this desire uh, to see them. <clears throat> this is the way one author wrote it this way, is, is this is simply all about being human, not just being human, but also being family, you know, where, where letters are nice, but that's not the same thing as real presence, right? I think all of us at some level have experienced that over the last almost two years at this point, right? This, this feeling of separation from our friends and from our family. Uh, we've all had to experience that. And yes, we can, we can talk to each other. We can see each other through FaceTime. 
uh, through you know video calls, uh, uh, things of that nature. But it's not the same thing, right? That's not the same thing as being present, being together. And that's what he's saying here is, as you Thessalonians, you want to see me in the same way that I am wanting to see you as well. <clears throat> and so we can encourage each other uh, by our godly living. Um, that's the idea here is, is the Thessalonians were living godly lives, and because of that, Paul was encouraged. And then we can also encourage other people by our continued growth. Uh, so Paul, again, like I said, he was encouraged by this good news report of their love and faith, and he was encouraged in the way that they were living. But now, uh, not only that, um, it's not only those good responses in the moment, but it's also this idea of it's a continual process of growth. And that's the other encouragement that he has here, beginning in verse 7. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So he says, in all our distress and affliction. So Paul is talking specifically about his suffering. Because you Thessalonians, you guys are going through a difficult time. You're going through this hard time. You're suffering. You're facing persecution. And you know what? Paul was facing that same persecution as well. He was just in a different location. You know, I mean, you don't have to read too much of, of what happened to Paul to know. I mean, he suffered greatly. He was stoned, left for dead. He's, I mean, he mentioned it in Corinthians one time, all of these different like, line of things. He was shipwrecked twice. You know, and survived somehow, survived two shipwrecks, and he was stoned, left for dead, he's beaten, persecuted, he's been imprisoned, all of these different things that he's had to suffer in his life. And he's saying, in my distress, in my affliction, I have been comforted. Why? Because you Thessalonians have brought comfort to me because you were living faithful. And because you were living faithful, you're encouraging me to live faithful. So he's telling the Thessalonians, I mean, we put, we have this tendency to put Paul on a pedestal, right? That he's, he's this great man, and he was. I mean, he was a great man for God, but he needed encouragement too. And that's what he's saying is, you Thessalonians, you brought that encouragement to me. I'm suffering, and you can comfort me while I'm suffering because you're responding the way you should in your suffering. So we have been comforted through your faith. He found that same comfort and encouragement um, <clears throat> as, the, as the Thessalonians. So we have been comforted through your faith. This word comfort, um, it's the same word that's used in verse 2 when he says that I sent Timothy to exhort you in your faith. This exhort here is the same as the word comfort. Uh, and so I sent Timothy to exhort you, to comfort you, but he brought back such good news that you have comforted and you have exhorted me as well. And this continued uh, growth uh, is not only acted out by our faith, but it also comes by standing fast. He says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. So the idea here is for Paul, it's a matter of life or death is what he's saying. It's, it's, that's how concerned he is for them is I live, now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. So essentially what Paul is saying is, if Timothy had come back with bad news, if Timothy had come back with a report that you're not living faithfully, 
Paul is saying, that would be like death for me. That would be like me dying to see that you guys are not living faithfully, but you are living faithfully. And because you are living faithfully, he says that's life. That is life-giving to me. You have, have given that to me because of your faithfulness. <clears throat> and he says that we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. This could also be translated as since you are standing fast in the Lord. And so I think that's kind of the idea that he has here. Is it's, not, it's not just uh, we live if you are standing in the Lord because he is giving the report that they are in fact doing that. And so he's providing uh, this, uh, this hope to them. So it's, uh, like I said, it's a conditional statement. This is the way one, one person says it is. Um, it emphasizes the factuality that they are remaining steadfast. And at the same time, it contains an implicit admonition to them to continue to stand fast and, and, uh, and not be moved by their affliction. So it's, it's this idea that you are standing fast in the Lord and that provides life. But not only that, I'm encouraging you to continue in that, not just to do it here in this moment, but that it's a continual process of growth. And this growth uh, comes also through our thankfulness. He says, what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy we feel for your sake before our God? When he says, what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? He's basically saying, God, how can I ever repay you for the goodness that you have shown to me through the Thessalonians? That's how thankful Paul is to the Thessalonians. Is he says, what can I do? How can I repay you, God? And obviously the idea is he can't, right? He cannot repay uh, God for that kindness. But it's an encouragement to the Thessalonians that he believes that strongly about them, that they are living that faithfully, that he can give that amount of thanks to God. And this joy, this thankfulness, it's, it's overly abundant. He says, for what all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. See, the ESV they kind of smooth that out to make it easier for, for us to read that, for all the joy that we feel. Uh, other translations might uh, have said it as, for all the joy that we joy for your sake before our God. So it, he's speaking redundantly. He's repet using a repetition of words, this, this joy that we, that we joy in. So it doesn't make sense, really, when we say that. It, so it could be the joy in which we rejoice, uh, but even that doesn't... doesn't make a whole lot of sense in our, in our language, right? So that's why the ESV changes it to the joy that we feel. But he's, he's, it's like whenever you're so excited about things, I'm sure that you guys have experienced this, you're so excited about something that you're just like gushing over your words and you're just like repeating the same thing over and over again because you're so excited and you just keep saying it over and over. And that's what he's doing here is, is he's using this joy, the joy with which we joy uh, in. And not only that, he says we are joying, enjoy uh, for you and for your sakes. So he's, he's using more repetition there, uh, that it's, it's a continual, it's a constant thing, and it's uh, expressing this love that he really has for them. And kind of tied into this idea of thankfulness is, is how our growth comes by, by way of prayer as well. Uh, so Paul expresses his thankfulness to God, in prayer while also praying for their continued growth. As he says in verse 10, as we pray most earnestly night and day 
that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So this prayer was a prayer of insistence. It says we pray most earnestly night and day. It's constant. You know, it's like what he tells them later on in this letter, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It says to pray without ceasing. It's this constant attitude of prayer. And that's what Paul is saying here is that I am praying night and day. Every single moment that I pray, I am thinking about you guys. That's what he's telling the Thessalonians. Every single time, whether it's when I wake up in the morning and I start my prayer with the Lord, or as I pray throughout the day, when I come to my time in the evening and I'm praying, every single moment of prayer, he's praying for the Thessalonians. That's what he's telling them here. That's how invested he is in their life, how much he cares and is concerned for them, is that they are a regular part of his prayers. And he prayed, again, that we may see you face to face. And so he's bringing it back to that idea, uh, beginning in chapter 2 there, of this desire to see you face to face. But there's a reason why he wants to see them face to face. And that reason is the last part here of verse 10, to supply what is lacking in your faith. And so this idea here, of supplying what is lacking in your faith. He's not saying that they don't have faith or that he's providing something new for them, right? Because he's been telling them, you are living faithfully, and I am thankful for that, but there are other things in your life that maybe is not quite complete. And that's what he's saying is, I want to make your faith whole. I want to make your faith complete. And that's what the whole rest of the letter is, which we will not be addressing, but that's, that's the idea is what he's saying is, is I'm going to take that faith that you already have and I'm going to enhance it. My goal, my hope is that I will strengthen it in some way. Um, <clears throat> so the idea is, uh, this is from one, one commentary, uh, said, it, said this, uh, the teacher had the responsibility of completing the instruction given to the student so that the pupil could live as an adult. And so that's what Paul is essentially saying here is, I am your teacher. I've given you these instructions while I was with you. My time was cut short with you, but I want to see you again. Why? So that we can finish our teaching. Like we can finish these lessons. You can have a faith that is whole, a faith that is complete. And so he's expressed this great amount of gratitude and thankfulness for the Thessalonians while also understanding and anticipating that maybe there are some areas in their life that they need to grow in. And we get that as we read through the rest of the letter when he tries to provide hope for them, for those who are dying, have died, you know, and he talks about the hope that we have of Christ returning and he talks about the day of the Lord. All of these things, those are the instruction that he's wanting to so that's the lacking of faith that he's trying to supply, essentially. Uh, so he's expressing the gratitude while at the same time saying, here's some things that maybe we can work on as we go through that. <clears throat> so as we look through this text, we can see and we should recognize that all Christians should find hope and comfort in the hard times. So the question that I have for us today is, are we committed to each other? Do we show each other how much we care for one another in our words, in our thoughts, in our deeds, the same way that Paul used his words and deeds and his commitment and his desire to see the Thessalonians? 
how much of that desire do we have for one another? <clears throat> do we desire this godly fellowship and seeking encouragement from one another? Do we minister to one another? Or do we care enough about each other to provide stability when others are struggling? So are we the shoulder that people can lean on when hard times come? And are we able to provide words of encouragement, words of hope? And do we encourage others with our own godly living? Do we live godly lives so that we can be a good example to those around us? When we respond to the difficult circumstances of our life, do we respond in a way that others can see that and use it as an, exa an example to follow as well? Are we growing in our relationship with Christ? Are we standing in the Lord? Are we thankful? How about when we pray? How much time do we spend in prayer for each other? That's my question for us today. Is That's what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians is, I love you, I care for you, and I want to comfort you, and you have also brought comfort to me. And so that's the idea here is, are we doing that? Are we living faithfully, and are we praying for one another? So let us hope from others. Let's find hope from others when hard times come. And let's, hope to, let's give hope to others when hard times come because that is what Christian life is all about. Let's pray.